so good to be with you this morning in worship. It is a joy to gather with one another and to go through God's Word. And there are times that when we go through God's Word, there are things that may be uncomfortable, and yet God's Word is very relevant for our day. And I am reminded of that this morning as we approach our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning uh, in verse 12. And so we will be there this morning. We are at FBC always striving, always hoping, always praying to be a healthy church is what we want to be. We want to be healthy in all aspects. And, and so in one of the, the things that is so beautiful about this letter that Paul gives us is that he is writing to a church that is very unhealthy. As I've told you, it's, it's very dysfunctional. The church is a very dysfunctional church. And so it, it, it makes us evaluate ourselves and it makes us evaluate our church and it makes us ask questions like what is our purpose or what are we preaching every Sunday morning? What, how do we view our, our pastors and how do we handle sin within um, the church? And so today, Paul is going to press us to ask the question, is sin profitable? And not just any sin, but is sexual sin profitable? As you'll see, this was an issue within the, the church of Corinth. And not only in the church of Corinth, but, but, but the issue of sexual immorality was very uh, prevalent through that. And so, uh, I'm gonna, you know, and being the fact that we're... Um, you know, we're, we're mixed here this morning. So know that when I talk about immorality this morning, we're being very specific in the area of sexual sin this morning, okay? And so he's going to have us ask the question, is this immorality profitable for us? Can church members buy into the, cultural, the culture's casual attitude toward this gift that God has given to, to a husband and to a wife? And the answer is a resounding no. This morning we're going to look at what I will call this morning cheap grace, the sin of sexual immorality. Three things that we're going to look at this morning. I want you to see cheap grace, the correction, uh, and then the command. I want you to see the cheap grace, the correction, and the command. So, so look with me this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 12. Paul writes, he, he says here, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then make, uh, take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself with the Lord is one with him uh, is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been Fault with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great theologian, great uh, preacher, pastor over in Germany, who was placed, who is known for being placed into a concentration camp by the Nazis, coined a term called cheap grace. 
Uh, you, you can see this. He coined the term in his, in his book on the cost of discipleship. A wonderful book where he takes you through the Sermon on the Mount. And so he, he writes this in his book. He says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. It is grace without a price. It is grace without a cost. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace we bestow on ourselves. Grace, cheap grace, is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Without baptism, without requiring church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is without discipleship. It is grace without the cross. And it is grace without Jesus Christ. Let that sink in this morning. That what he is saying here to us, that Dietrich is writing, is that we've taken the grace of God and we've done the very thing that, that, that Jude writes in his, little, in his little letter, in his little book there over there, right for Revelations, in his one chapter book, that, that Jude writes there. He says that we have taken the grace of God, that men in the church have taken the grace of God and turned it into cheap grace or a, a license to sin. Sadly, the church of Corinth was a prime example of this. They had cheapened the grace of God. How may you ask? Well, by accepting the forgiveness of one's sin without, without embracing the repentance of one's life. They had embraced the idea and the joy and the blessing of that if I come to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess unto Him the sinfulness of my life and that is within my heart, that Jesus, who is loving and just and gracious, will forgive me of my sins. Amen. Okay, again, we're going to do that again. Amen. Amen. What does Trey say? Thank you, lights. Or come on, lights, something. That's a good statement, beloved. That the just God of this universe is, is going to forgive you because of His sacrifice, because of His life on the cross. He forgives you of your sins when you come to Him. They love that, but what they did not embrace was that when you come to him, you have a change of life. You now are turning away. Repentance is not just a confession of sins. It's not just a wiping away of your sins. Repentance is that you are now living a life running away from those sins. And so the Corinthian Christians had a very casual attitude toward immorality. Again, sexual immorality to be specific. They welcomed forgiveness, but they did not welcome this turning away. Especially in this area. You have to understand that in the city of Corinth, it was much like in America today, where everything goes. It was uh, where you and I have, have experienced over the last decade, if not two decades, this revolution, what, what's being called the, the sexual revolution. Everything is accepted. And so Corinth was very much like that, where it was said to have Corinthianized. This would refer to a person who was very immoral, very casual in their, in their immorality and in their attitude, in their, in their acceptance of this stuff. And so this is the reason why Paul brings up the issue of prostitution. This is the reason why we, we see adultery and the unfaithfulness in marriage. This, this is the reason why you see for in our day the rise of the LGBTQ+. And it's just accepted, and it's the way it is. We are no different than, than, than the city of Corinth, and they are no different than us. This was a common mantra in their day. To Corinthianize. Very much like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Very similar to you can look, but you cannot touch. 
or very similar to this one that you're hearing today. I have a human right. I got my rights. And you can't tell me what is right or wrong because it's my right to do whatever I want to do. And I will behave in whatever way because it is my right. The basic principle here of this slogan that, that we're going to see, that, and you're going to see several, I'm going to explain this as we get into it, but the basic principle of what you're seeing here is all things lawful. Food is for the stomach. Sin is outside the body. All these slogans here. The basic principle was an allowance for immorality based on society's reasoning. The church had embraced a culture They had embraced the culture's philosophy, the culture's worldview. And very much like today, beloved, these worldviews are, these worldviews and these principles are running through our own society. And unfortunately, in Paul's day, it had crossed over into the church. And sadly, it's crossed over into our churches as well. Notice these sayings. We'll look at two very quickly. All things are lawful. The Bible says no such thing. You need to understand what's taking place here. This is very much like like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus is, is saying to the people, he says, You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, thou shalt not have anger towards your brother. So, so he's bringing up what you've heard, and then he's giving a, a, a correction on some things. Yes, murder is wrong, but you can't be resentful and bitter toward your brethren. Paul's doing the same thing. He's just not adding in, you've heard it said. Paul will present these slogans that are being said within the, within the culture out there and, and what the church has embraced. And so what they're saying, Paul, Paul's going to repeat the slogan, all things are lawful. Well, we know that all things are not lawful, especially in this type of immorality. We know the law did not allow this. We know the law was very specific. So, so Paul says, the Bible is, it says no such thing. We're going to get to that. But for now, he just says, you say that all things are law, lawful, but I say to you, all things are not profitable. He, say, he says to them, he says, you reason that because of your faith in Christ, that he will forgive you of your sins, that you can just commit whatever sin you want to commit. We do the same thing. We just call it grace. They, they refer to the law, you refer to grace. Well, God's going to forgive me. I know that, I know by doing this, I know by lying on my taxes, or I, I know that by cheating, I know by stealing, I know by, by immorality is wrong. But we preach grace. And so God's grace is going to forgive me, right? Because I walked the aisle and I was baptized and, and I signed that card and, and I went to church all my life and God's grace is going to forgive me. That, that's what Paul's saying here. He's using, it's the same argument. And this was a misunderstanding of the Christian liberty of their day. It is the same misunderstanding that we have of grace and our own freedoms in Christ. 
But notice also he uses this other slogan here. You'll see he says food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. Or the, he'll get into another one that we'll see at the end here that, that sin is outside the physical body. You see they reason that similar to food that, that, that sex was just another physical appetite or function. And so it was basically just a desire within the body. And so therefore you, you do these things and it's okay because it's no different than just eating food. No, no different than just drinking a, a Coca-Cola or whatever it is there, there's no difference there it's an itch that just needs to be scratched and so we just it's all right for me to do this and Paul says no this carries this carries here a moral value but they they didn't think that way and so these misunderstandings of forgiveness, these misunderstandings of grace, these misunderstandings of the law, these misunderstandings of spiritual freedom and physical bodies brought them to justifying immorality. And not just justifying immorality out there, but in here. They had turned the grace of God into a license to sin. Beloved, Please hear me on this this morning. I, I may have to repent before you this morning in the fact that as I'm working through the sermon, I, it's one of those that you go, man, this is one that's kind of uncomfortable to preach on, right? You know? And you think, well, man, we just got to get through it, right? To, to, be, to be faithful to the text. But, but as you begin to work through this, as you begin to think through it, you are facing this very sin right here. The church today in America is facing the very temptation to embrace and to believe that this type of immorality is okay because it's loving, because it's tolerance, because the world out there, the culture out there, this revolution that you and I are seeing before our very eyes where it's no longer, it's no longer a big deal that we see adultery in politics anymore. That we see immorality in politics anymore. No longer are you seeing where they go, well, I got caught. I'm going to walk away. Now you almost got to force them out because it's really not that big a deal. Unless you want to twist it and use it to destroy your political adversary. It's no, it's no big deal that we have this LGBTQ blah, blah, blah. We just keep adding to. And for everything that we add, it's a human right and we have to believe. You are facing the very thing that Corinth, the Christians of Corinth were facing. Is that there is a philosophy, there is a worldview out there that has come to your front door. And it is telling you that if you really want to be good Christians and you really want to be loving. And you really want to know uh, liberty and true freedom, you must embrace these things. And beloved, Paul says, no. It's cheap grace. When the church begins to embrace the philosophies of the world, we cheapen the grace of God. Why? Because all things are not lawful. We're going to get into that, but all things are not lawful. And so, so sex in any way contrary to the Bible, beloved, cheapens not only it cheapens grace it cheapens us it cheapens marriage it cheapens all of these things 
And, and so we have to understand, beloved, that if we are going to fight back, if we're gonna, if we're gonna hold fast, if the st- true and steady anchor that Brother Trey and them just, just led us to sing, you just sang the true and steady anchor, you, beloved, that means that you have to be true and steady in your philosophy and your, in your theology and holding on to what the scripture says about this area. And this is the reason why, beloved, we have what's called a Baptist faith and message. We, we have the word, I'll get to that in some, but, but, but we have a Baptist faith and message that sums this up as a church. That this is what we believe as a church. That when you come into this church, this is what we embrace. We embrace the family as God intended the family and all functions of the family, including this one. One man, one woman married together for a life. That's what we embrace as a church. And so therefore, beloved, Paul is pushing back on the, 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 this cultural mindset that is coming in. So, so you need to know what we believe as a church. You need to also know what the Bible teaches about these areas. Which, by the way, is summed up in the Baptist Faith and Message of 2000 that we have. This is our statement of faith. On, on all these things, not, and not even just in the area of marriage, but even all the way down to the issue of the mind and the heart, including that if we are looking upon another person with lust in our heart, that we understand that Jesus is correct. We've committed adultery. We've been unfaithful. We're not pure. Beloved, but not only must you not just know these things, you must not have a casual attitude about it either. Paul, Paul is, is fighting and he's attacking this casual attitude toward their immorality. We must take this seriously because Jesus takes it seriously. We must understand, beloved, that, that LGBTQ plus is sin. And a matter of fact, if you don't remember, let me refresh your memory. Go back to verse 10. Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 9. Just, just go back a couple verses. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He was setting them up for these next verses. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor the homosexuals, nor the thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved, we don't get to look at the world and have a casual attitude and say, you know, y'all's, your view, your philosophy sounds good, we'll change ours. We are to remain steady to the anchor of Christ. But, but not only does Paul here show them the cheapening of grace, of what embracing these, these mentalities and these lifestyles was, how it was cheapening the grace of God. Paul then corrects them. Notice again here, In verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. Food is for the stomach, the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, he says, and the Lord is for the body. So notice what Paul does here. You say all things are lawful, but let me give you, let me correct this. And he does this in three different principles. Number one, he says everything is not profitable. We're going to get to the fact that this is not lawful in just a moment. But Paul's just going to reason with them. He says it's not even lawful. Just because God's grace grants Christians these freedoms, this doesn't mean that you get to do what you always want to do. Amen? 
Have you ever thought that maybe the desires of your flesh and your, your heart, those things that you really want to do are things that you really shouldn't do, even if they're not sinful? We'll get to that in just a moment. He says here, the, the meaning here that he is saying is that he, he says we must examine if our desires that, and the things that we're doing are profitable. Meaning, does it advance my good? Does it advance my sanctification? Does it advance the, the gospel witness? We understand that drinking, according to Scripture, is not sinful in and of itself. But is it profitable? And this is something that you must ask yourself. This is something you must examine for yourself. Is it profitable? I'm just going to tell you, for me, it's not profitable. But me and you may be different. But for me as a person who has to examine, I understand my personality and I understand my addictions. I understand the things that that my flesh will latch on to. And so therefore, I understand not a sin. But if if Brian was to ever go that route, it could easily then become that. And Paul is saying the same thing about this area of sin. He says, is this sin, is this really profitable for you? How's your marriage doing? Huh? How's your worship at church doing with this kind of stuff? That stuff you're looking at on on the computer screen on your iPhone, right? Is that profitable for your children and you? And Paul is, he's making them examine to ask, is this really progressing me in the area of sanctification? And he's saying, he's answering the question, no. No, Paul recognizes that God's grace does grant us certain freedoms, but those freedoms do not grant us the freedom to sin. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity to the flesh. But how about this one, Hebrews 12, 1. Let us also lay aside every hindrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice the distinction. He says lay aside every hindrance but also sin. So there are things that are not sinful that the author of Hebrews says you need, that entangles you and you need to let those things go. They're not sinful, but that you need to let them go because they're not profitable for you. They entangle you. And so some of you need to ask yourself this morning about your behaviors and your, pra- and the, and your practices. Are they profitable for my sanctification? Are they profitable for my wife? Are they profitable for my children? Are they profitable for my church and my gospel witness? How much time you spend on social media, beloved? Is it profitable? It's not a sin to be on Facebook. It could be, but, but how much time you spend on there, is that helping your sanctification? If you spend all day, on, all day long just looking, constantly coming back, is it profitable that, 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 that you spend so many hours in front of the television? Even if you're watching, you know, Andy Griffith's show, I don't know. But, but is it profitable for you to be so in, obsessed with entertainment and needing to be entertained every moment? Is it profitable, your treatments of others? Maybe you're not sinful. Maybe you say, look, I'll love them, I'll help them. But, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm just, you know, we're just not going to be close. We're just going to, it's not a sin, right? But is that profitable? Ask yourself in the area of the immorality that Paul is dealing with here. Is it profitable? And we know the answer to be No. It has caused many diseases. It has been the source of many divorces, broken marriages, and hurt and broken children. It is part of the very breakdown of the family. It is part of the breakdown of our government. It is part of the moral erosion of our culture. 
is absolutely not lawful. But it is not profitable for any of us to embrace and have a casual attitude toward this sin. Not only that, Paul says, notice, he says, is it lawful? He says, all things are lawful, but nothing will master me. To be mastered means to have the authority over. It means to dominate your thoughts. It really is, in my, in my mind, the, the ventriloquist kind of thing. It is the dummy sitting on the lap, and you have the hand inside the dummy, and you, you turn his head the direction you want to turn him. You have, he says what you want him to say. It's, it's literally is kind of the ventriloquist thing. And here's the deal for you and I, especially within this sin and many other sins, beloved. Um, you are the dummy. I am the dummy. When these, when these things get into our lives, beloved, they master, they master us, they dominate us. And we become so obsessed with these things that, that there's this strong inclination in me that it is a, it is a mental fight. It is a mental and, and spiritual war to just make it through one day. To make it through one day without giving in. And this is not even in the area of this immorality. It can be even the strong inclinations of alcohol, drugs, social media. It can be anything that we become addicted to and we are obsessed with. But Paul's point is very clear. He says, even if you have freedom to do something, that freedom should never, ever control you. Why? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Christ is calling you and I, beloved, to be lorded over by one individual himself and nothing else. He is your Lord. He is your master. You are in submission to him and him alone and nothing else in this world. No matter if you have the freedom to do so, if you have the freedom to talk however you want to talk, to act, even if you had those freedoms, beloved, you don't get to act that way because Christ is king. So therefore, again, we must ask ourselves about the, do these fleshly desires dominate our life? Do these obsessions, do these things within me, these inclinations that are strong and that, that they just, it's a battle, as I said, every day. Do they dominate me and control me? Whether it be, again, whether it be food, can I, can, can I, actually, can I actually say no to the donut, right? I, I know it's kind of a joke, you want to laugh, but I want to laugh. Can I, can I say no to chocolate? Many of us go, nope, uh-uh. Right? Do I have a, can I hold back on this? Or does these things master me? Television, can you go without turning it on? Can you, can social media, all these different things. But beloved, hear me this, and let me just go ahead and be very blunt with you. In the area of sexual immorality, you will always, always be the one who is being mastered. It is one of the strongest Addictions that you will ever face in your life. And it's one that no one even needs to know about. That people, you can get away and no one even know about it. And you think that you have it under control. And Paul knows this. And he is looking to these people that he loves. And he says to them, he says, Beloved, Christ is king, not this stuff. But not only that, He says also in verse 18, notice what he says, our bodies belong to the Lord. I'm sorry, back up, back up there. I'm sorry. Verse um, 13, 
He says, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. So there's this issue again, this issue of the physical body doesn't matter. There's this issue of stomach. It's just like eating food. It's just, it's a normal physical function. And so therefore they justified this immorality because it involved the body. Because what really matters at the end of the day? The spirit, right? The soul. Christ saved my spirit. He saved my soul. When I die, my body goes in the ground and my soul goes to heaven. My body's been left behind. And so it, the, the sin, it's just a physical It's just a physical thing. It's like eating a hamburger. It don't matter. And so my soul is going to be with Jesus. Well, newsflash, beloved. They had bought into this philosophy here, this, this immorality, to the very point that it was tearing up their families, to the very point that they were, that they were involving themselves in, in type of behavior today that is criminal in our day. We see this in verse 15 and 16. They were joining themselves with other people in immoral ways. And Paul corrects them and he says, No. The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. In other words, this immorality, this guilt, or this gift that God has given us is not the same. This gift that God has given man and woman, man and wife, husband and wife, it is not the same as eating and drinking. For when Christ saved us, He not only saved your soul, He not only redeemed your soul, but He also has redeemed your body. Our bodies are experiencing redemption by the fact that we are no longer held to the power of sin. Sin has been broken over me. I have freedom. And my freedom is, is I can say no. Where in the past, I couldn't. But Christ has redeemed me and I can now say no. He's redeeming my bodies. And he even goes to explain this. Look at verse 14. This is very important. And I think we have a problem with this sometimes. He says, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Notice here, there's this issue of resurrection. In other words, our bodies have an eternal future with Christ. When you think of heaven... Sadly, we think of spiritual ghostly form or an angel with wings and a harp on a cloud. You're neither angel and eventually we're going to have glorified bodies. This is going to work out for us. We're body and soul. It's going to be like Christ when he rose from the grave. And we see this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, 15, uh, verses 15 and 16. And due to time, we'll, we'll get to that later. I'm sorry, chapter 15, verse 42 through 44. But our bodies, beloved, are going to be raised and they're going to be glorified bodies, much like Christ. And so Paul is countering the idea that you can live in this moment because it only affects the body and not the soul. To immerse ourselves fully into this life, this, beloved, this is a very short-sighted view for the Christian because we have an eternity to look for. Beloved, this is not your best life now, not for your soul nor your body. If, if this is your best life now, so live it up, drink it up, do whatever you want then you're going to hell when you die. If this is your best life now, you're not going to heaven. Because when we get to heaven, that will be our best life. Glorified bodies. You will wake up and no longer have cricks in your neck. You will no, listen, you will no longer deal with old age. You will no longer deal with the things that are happening. But here's the thing. Not only that, you will no longer deal with the sinful fleshliness of your body. 
We have an eternity to look forward to. Beloved, listen, heaven is, we have a new heaven and new earth to look forward to. Glorified body. So Paul is saying, your body that you have now has been redeemed, not only just for today, we'll get to that in just a moment, but not only for presently, but for a future purpose. So don't dare say that this is the body and this is the soul and the body doesn't matter. Christ says it matters. And we see that like Christ in Luke 24 where he ate food and where he had the the ability to touch that we ourselves will be like him. And so therefore, beloved, we do not dishonor our bodies on earth since they have been redeemed. This type of, of immorality, beloved harms the body it does not honor the body that christ has a purpose for our for in heaven so therefore anything that's unbiblical anything sex outside of marriage all right anything from outside of marriage one man one woman it, no matter what it is in your mind your heart or whatever if it's not you your husband your spouse you know your, your, your spouse together husband wife if it's not that it is sinful and dishonoring of your body that christ has given his life to redeem for a future purpose in glory And this is a sin, beloved. And this is the reason why you cannot buy into trans, this transgender movement. You cannot buy into this. The harming of the body for the purpose of a moment in time, of an emotional confusion. When God has redeemed it for a greater future purpose. But not only that, he says our bodies will be presently joined to Christ. Look at look what he says there in verse 16. He said, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Here is this wonderful mystery that we have a very hard time understanding, but according to Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in who? In me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. John 15.4 and 6 through 6, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This is a mystery that our mind blows our mind that because of the redemption of Christ, beloved, we are connected to him. He is in us and we are in him. But it's not just this issue of soul and, and the body, you know, separate. There is, this, there is this connection to us, soul and body, to Christ. That even when your physical body suffers persecution, the Bible says that, that, you are con- that Christ is glorified in your physical suffering. In your physical persecution. We see this throughout the scriptures. Paul talks about this in Colossians. And so therefore any type of thing that we do that is immoral physically. Harms Christ. It harms Christ. It harms him. And it, harms his, it harms his witness, beloved. It harms the, the great gospel of Christ. 
the purity of Christ. It grieves Him that not only that, that you are sinning, but, but you who have Christ in you are sinning. Whether it be you go join yourself with someone else or whether it be you turn on your phone and you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking below, you are grieving Christ. You are grieving Christ because He's in you. And I was picking with Trey this week about a point of application I was making. It's not an application, but just... We are so grieved about our mamas finding out what we do, right? Some of you, man, you be, some of you, you're like, I pray my mama never knows what I did as a teenager. But we're totally fine that Jesus is with us. And we would bring him into places that he should have never been brought into. And that's what's happening. And so the Bible teaches, beloved, that Christ and I are connected and he goes where I go. So not only does my body have a future purpose in bringing glory to his name, but my body has a present day uh, purpose in bringing glory to him now. Christ is glorified with what I do with my body. Look, we can talk about this in immorality that Paul was talking about, but you can do this in many other things. If you're at home and just being lazy and doing absolutely nothing with your life, You are being lazy physically, beloved. God is not glorified. Because God has called you to work. God has called you to go out into the world and work. To take his gospel to the world. And you're staying at home, locked up, watching, binge watching television all day. We're harming him. We're harming the gospel. When we unite our bodies, which Christ lives in, with sin. And so therefore, neither do we dishonor the body, we dishonor Christ. So honor Christ with your bodies. Honor Him with your eyes, the things that you should and should not look at. And some of you say, Brother Brian, I don't don't look at all these bad things. Great, I don't lust, great. But are you even reading the Bible? Because, Because it goes both ways. Honor Christ in what you're looking at. Don't look at the bad things, but... Put your eyes on the Word of God and begin to read and study the Word. Honor Him, beloved, with your, with, with, your, with your hands. And not touching the things you should not touch. But in the same way, touch the things that you should. Use your hands for the service of Christ rather than the impurity of, of a moment of sinful pleasure. Go Honor Christ with your mouth, beloved. May, 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 may the things that you say bring honor and glory to Him and not dishonor. May you honor Christ with your mouth when you come to worship and you join in the songs and we're singing and God is honored in the fact that I've joined with my brethren singing of the glory rather than using my mouth to bring dishonor. Or how about this? Bring honor to Christ in your homes beloved, by gathering your wife, by gathering your husband, by gathering your kids together and there in your home with your mouth you bring honor and glory to Him. He is honored in your body. Bring honor to Him, beloved, in the things that you say, in the songs that you sing. Honor Him with your feet, that they would never go places that they should ever, that they, you should never be. But that you would bring honor and glory to God with your feet. That you would come Sunday after Sunday to church. That you may worship Him and bring honor to His name. That you would use your feet to bring you into the arms of your spouse. That it would bring you into the presence of your children. Rather than in some sinful place that you should not be, beloved. Go home. It burns me up when men will not go home to their wives and to their children. 
We, we spend every, we, we, we use our feet to go everywhere else. God has called me to honor him by being a husband who loves my wife, who loves my kids. And guess what that means? That means you need to be there. Not in the brothels. Not any other place. You honor Christ with your mind. The things that you think of constantly is Christ upon your mind. And you honor Him with a marriage that is pure and undefiled and is holy. Which leads us finally to the command of, the command of Paul. Look at verse 18. He says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. This is another slogan. It's the outside the body. It doesn't bother me, Paul. It doesn't bother my soul. But then he says, verse 9, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Lord who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. He purchased you. Your grace is not cheap. It costs something. He purchased you, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What does this mean for us, beloved? What does, it, what does it mean that I belong to Him? What does it mean that this stuff is actually sinful and I, I shouldn't treat it like a pet that I keep locked up and only let out when I want to play with it? No, what, what does this mean? Paul says, flee. This is the very strong exhortation. It means to run away. This is Joseph in Potiphar's house. When that she comes to him, he runs. He literally runs, forgetting the cloak that he left behind. It means to run away that you may escape danger. It's in present imperative form, meaning it's continually running. And so many of us here this morning need to be like Joseph in Potiphar's house, that when we turn on television, then we get on our phone, that when we go to work, whatever it may be, whatever immorality, whatever version it is for you, whatever temptation it is for you, that we take it seriously and we run away. If you got to get a new job, get a new job. But I worked there 30 years, Brian. Oh, well, Christ owns your body. He owns you. And His glory and His name mean far more than how many years you worked in a job. This is the problem with pastors. We get caught up in these sins. I'm a pastor. This command is for all of us. You flee. And if you need to quit pastoring... That you can deal with this and be pure and holy and and have a pure marriage, then you flee. You run away. And many of you need to be running. You need to run from the lusts of this world and you need to run into the arms of the Word of God. Many of you need to, to run away from those who are tempting you. You Many of you need to run away. You need to run away from the philosophies and the worldview of the culture that is trying to make you embrace a godless view of this wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us. Repent, beloved, and run from these sins. Because if you are not careful... Much like Cain, this sin is crouching at your door and it wants to overtake you. And then there he says, glorify God. Proverbs 5.22, his own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of sin. My question, beloved, is who owns you? Is Christ your slave? Are you the slave of Christ? Are you the slave of immorality? Are you mastered by immorality or are you mastered by Christ? For Paul says, for we have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. 
Can I say to you this morning, beloved, you no longer have to be a slave to these sins. That Jesus Christ came and died for you. He gave his life for you. He overcome these sins in his own life. Gave his life as a ransom for you to substitute. That he would take your unrighteousness to the cross and to the grave. But that in his resurrection he would give you, beloved, his righteousness. That you may be set free for all, all eternity, body and soul, to bring glory and honor to Christ. That you may glorify him. That you may make much of him. The gospel sets us free, beloved. Free for our bodies to bring glory. Listen to John Piper as we close. He says, what that means very simply is you use your bodies in ways that will show that God is more satisfying, more precious, and more to be desired, more glorious than anything the body craves. And so I end with Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. Such grace, beloved, is costly because it calls us to follow And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ, not immorality. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives to a man or a woman true life. The grace that you have been given is not cheap. Christ gave his life that you may know real, true life. And so therefore you must repent of your sins and you must flee from your sins and you must live to glorify him by rejecting worldly philosophies, embracing only that which is profitable and will not master you, by fleeing the immoralities and glorifying God and honoring God with your body. Let's pray.